You've tuned into Growth Point Church, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that the messages provide an atmosphere for growth and grace in your relationship with Christ and an opportunity for you to gather together in community, whether online or in person. Now let's go into the message. Hebrews 4 and 14 says this, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So, verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. One more time, since we have all this stuff and a priest who's able to sympathize with us, 16 says, so let us then with confidence, like not timidness, like come with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, that we may see mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Anybody in a time of need in the room? Like I'm just in a time of need. There's grace for that and there's mercy for that. And I want to talk today in this series um, about reunited. Someone say reunited. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So I want to make a disclaimer as I move. So I got to raise real high. Obviously, I can't do my normal teaching spell today because some of y'all will fall asleep if I do that. Um, but I want to make sure that you understand um, that we've been in this series about the tabernacle for the last few weeks. And I want to make a disclaimer as I start off that I did tell you all that it was going to be six weeks. Uh, well, um, I got one more week this this week and one more week. So that makes seven weeks. I told you I did not do good in math uh, so instead of six weeks seven weeks tell somebody you got one more week just one more week so next week is it and I'm done next week and we're gonna be out of this series if you were really raised in a holiness church um, series never lasted six weeks or seven weeks series lasted for three months like they'd be on one one word stewardship or holiness or sanctification or whatever they were on it forever and then all of a sudden they would shift you know that so I'm not doing that this is not the series that never ends and it goes on and on my friends and some people started out not knowing what it was and they forever set up just because this is a, no it's not that we will make sure that this series ends next week um, but when I think about um, this whole shoot I forgot my pointer I left it in the back my god but it's okay it's fine I don't need it it's okay um, I saw some of y'all running. It's okay. It's fine. Um, but what I learned about what we've been trying to teach and try to uh, bring before you for the last few weeks is that we understand the importance of what it is that we are in, the importance of what it is that we have, and the importance of why it was established, what God established in the tabernacle, what I, why he established it. As we know, for those of you who um, are new to this, I always go back and do the um, recap for everybody, is that when we came um, out of Egypt, you know, they were in. Uh, slavery. They were in bondage for 400 years. Um, and um, that's very important that, that you understand that as it relates even to Black History Month, that you were never meant to be property of anybody. You never were supposed to belong to anybody but the Lord. But they were in bondage and captivity for 400 years. They cried out for deliverance. God rose up a deliverer in the name of Moses. He brought uh, Moses to them and out of many different situations, finally, uh, Pharaoh let them go. He let them go and they went into, you know, the Red Sea. We talked about that and then we uh, find out that they were in the wilderness. And as they were in the wilderness, we find out that now there is a way that God wants to communicate with them and the way that God chooses to communicate with them is through the tabernacle and how they were to erect a tabernacle in the midst of the wilderness. Well, I want to go a little backwards or go to the beginning before we get into today for it to make a little more sense to you in this particular um, furniture that I'm going to talk about today. Um, because when you think of reuniting, anytime you think 
think of um, the word uh, reunion um, that is a derivative of the word uh, reunite, uh, reuniting, um, you think of someone that has been separated for a while and now they were able to come back together. Um, one of the videos that you see, or not one of the videos, but many times you'll see videos of um, different soldiers or different people that have been in service, that have been away from their family for a long time, and you will see that they came in and surprised their child or surprised their nephew or their whatever at school, and there's an emotional reunion uh, because they haven't seen each other. I want to say this to you as it relates to your Bible that you have, and this, whether it be you version Bible, whether it be something that you have on a screen, or whether it's something that you have physically. Um, your Bible is not just a historical con uh, a, a book of just uh, things that happened or uh, figures that you just hear about just to hear about them. This book, this book right here, is really a, a love story of sorts of God trying his best to find a way to reunite what always belonged to him to himself again. It is a love story. It is not just about, you know, why was Ezekiel there and why was Daniel there? It is a love story of, of finding out how all throughout years and years of people working and trying to get back in right standing with God. I want somebody to holler out right now. It's a love story. That's what this book is about. That's what this Bible is about. That's why we want you to fall in love with it because it's a love story. It's about how we have been redeemed and brought back. And I want to start at the beginning of this story about how we got messed up in the first place. We do understand that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and y'all know the earth was without form and darkness, and you know all of that. And we also know that around uh, Genesis, I believe, 1 and 26 or something like that, we find out that God said it is not good um, that we just be by ourselves. Let us make man. And it says that they reached down into the dirt, and they found man and they breathe into man a living soul and man became flesh and walked around then man was asleep one time and he said it is not good is it in your bible i think this is all in everybody's bible he said it is not good that man should be alone so he put the man to sleep and when the man woke up he said whoa man it was a woman it was a womb mate someone who came out of his womb out of his rib a woman that came out and God said you shall be fruitful you shall have dominion you shall walk over and you should do all these different things be fruitful and multiply that's what God's design is for you to be fruitful and to multiply that's not talking about a bedroom that's talking about your life it is God's design for you to be fruitful and multiply someone say it's God's design for me it is not God's design for you to not have what you need. It is not God's design for you to be so broke you can't pay attention. It is not God's design for you for you to live at the bottom of anything. You are the head and you are not the tail. You are above and you are not beneath. Am I talking to myself? You are above and not beneath. You are a lender. You are not a borrower. God has called for you to be fruitful and to multiply. Your life is not supposed to be stuck forever. That's not God's design. When God created you from himself he was a creator that means he was a creative that means he looked at nothing and made something there is a creative nature inside of every last one of you if you don't see something make it if you don't like something make it do something there are people who are able to look come on George Washington Carver who was able to look at peanuts and made many different things out of a one peanut what can you make out of a dollar what can you make out of a piece of thread what is it that you can make out of the horse hair that you have what is it that you can make there is is a creative nature inside of you God has not designed you just to be a consumer there is a creative nature down inside of you for you to be fruitful and multiply and you don't have to move to Atlanta to be fruitful you don't have to move to Los Angeles to be fruitful you don't have to move or go over to whatever place you can you can produce right here in the middle come on they were in the wilderness and they were producing and they were wealthy you can be produceful you can be fruitful right in Kentucky the Kentucky doesn't just have great bluegrass uh, uh, grass and, and uh, horses and things that people come to see how about when people come into Lexington come into Kentucky and say come see my family come see my children come see my cousin see how they're prospering in a place that is drenched with racism a place that is drenched with all type of stuff look at what we've overcome look at what we've accomplished you are called to conquer someone say I'm called to be something 
You are not just called to come to church and hear some man and go out and repeat what some man said. God has given you 66 books in here for you to be able to quote and say, Thy word have I hidden in my heart. What you said I can be. I will fall in love with your word because it is your word that opens doors for me. When you have no pastor around you, speak the word. You are called to be fruitful and to multiply and do something great. You are not just called to exist and Netflix and chill. That is not what your life is called to do. You're supposed to have stocks. You're supposed to have different bonds and things. You're supposed to have houses. You're not just supposed to be giving money to somebody else. You're supposed to have something. You're supposed to be able not live in heaven with gold. You can have gold right here. Look at somebody say, I can bling right here. And that doesn't mean that you think you're better than anybody else. It means that I've got something that God wants me to have. So he called for them to be fruitful and to multiply. Then he told them, and I'll put you in the midst of the garden. And while you're in the garden, he says, I want you to roam free. I want you to have a good time. I want you to enjoy everything that is here in the garden. He says, but that tree there of good and evil, I don't want you to partake of that. Everything else you can do, but don't, don't partake of that tree that is of good and evil. Now, when God says don't do something, he doesn't always explain why. And there are a lot of us who want the explanation, God. Sometimes God doesn't do the explaining. He says, I just want you to follow my instructions. Don't do it. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know why later. Well, we find in Genesis, the third chapter, we're ready for you, Pastor Stacia. Genesis, the third chapter, and verse 1. Let's read this story that some of you uh, have remembered, and some of you might be hearing this for the first time. Genesis 3 and verse 11. Verse 1 starts, excuse me. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, now hold on. Now this is very important because I don't want you to miss it. And I hope you'll have your Bibles out and your phones and those of you who I do remind you that these notes are already in your events for your U version, so you can follow right now so you know where I'm going. You notice that, well, if you go back in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, God told them, I don't want you to eat of the tree, right? He says, eat of the tree. Am I the only one to remember that? He said, God, don't eat of the tree. Now, what did this lady say? Read verse, um, just read it all over again. Read it all over again, everything you said. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other, be any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Yeah. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Okay, so stop there. First thing. Do you even know what God said? That's the first thing. There's a lot of us who quote stuff God never said. That's very important. You know, when people say stuff like, God says, come as you are, where is that? LaDonna, thank you. Is that Bible? Then we say stuff like, God said he'll never put more on me than I can bear. Where is that? That's called a Kirk Franklin song, not the Bible. Did I mess you up? I'm so sorry. So do you know what God said? Because give me the first few words of that number one again. Now the serpent was more crafty. That's it. He was more crafty. Y'all think the devil don't know how to get you. The devil ain't slow. It says he's more crafty than what you normally deal with. Let me say this to some of you all. But some of you say stuff like, you know, the devil may, no, the devil never gives you anything you don't first want. Never. You will never be tempted with anything you didn't already want. Want Bible for it? I give you word for it. The Bible says when we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lust, our own desires. So how do you blame the devil on something that he really just actually acknowledged what you really wanted? So it says the enemy was so crafty that he, 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 so crafty that he said, this is part, let me trip her up with a question. 
did God really say? Now, then she says in verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 3. Verse 3. Yeah. But, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God never said anything about touching it. God said, don't eat it. Some of us mess up because you try to add more than what God said. God responds to what he said, not to what you add. God said, because what happens is to me, I don't know, Carell, I'm just trying to, you know, make it make sense for some of y'all. I believe Eve had a little attitude. Because she was like, you mean, he said we, shan't, we can't touch it. He said we can't eat it. He said we can't do anything. You know how when, when your parent tells you what you can't do, you have an attitude and you add more to it? That's what I believe when she said, you know, he says we can't eat it. And then he said we can't touch it unless we die. God never said that. He said of the tree that is of the good of evil. He said, I don't want you to, he said, I don't want you to eat of it. Don't, don't go near, don't, don't, don't have any partake, don't do anything. Don't have anything that it has to offer. Don't have anything to do with it. But he didn't say anything about touching it. So that's how the devil tripped her up to say, did God say? Meaning, do you even remember what he said? Go on, let's keep moving. But the serpent said to the woman... You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for, good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lying. Okay, so let's stop this real quick. One, let's catch y'all up for those of you who've never read this before. God actually said to Adam what not to do. Adam told Eve what God said. What's interesting about this is Eve added to what God never said. Eve took, took a part of the tree. Uh, and now, mind you, the fruit was not an apple. It was not a grape. It wasn't an orange. All these little stories and stuff like that. When he was talking about of the tree of good and evil, he was talking about having, hold this, for those of you who never heard this, he was talking about having too much information before your time. There are some things you don't need to know right now. It had nothing to do with an apple. It had nothing to do with a banana or any other vegetable or any of that stuff. It had everything to do with don't get involved in something before you're ready to handle it yet. He said the tree of good and evil. It did not say the tree of mangoes and bananas and bananas. It said the tree of good and evil, meaning if you're not ready for it yet, don't get in it yet. There are some things you haven't developed yet for. So don't partake in it because it might mess you up. A good thing before time is a bad thing. Anything before you're ready to handle it is a bad thing. Anything. So he says, I don't want you to take part of it. But what's interesting is, is that when Eve ate of it or partook of it, what did she do? She went back and took it to Adam and then he ate it. Now, my problem is Adam knew better. Who are you influenced by? It's going to be really tight in this Episcopalian assembly today. Who are you influenced by and you know better? Adam knew what God said and still did it anyway. Could you know what God said, but you still want to do what you want to do anyway? Adam knew what God said and still partook of it and did it. Now, let's keep moving. Keep moving, Pastor Stacia, because I think this is not the birthday message they wanted today. So keep going. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of when the Lord. When you are not where you are supposed to be, what you used to love, now you hide from. Some of you all cannot worship because you're hiding from God. When you do praise and worship, you can't tap in because your sins make you feel like you need to hide. When you're not where you're supposed to be, it's hard to raise your hands. When your mind's not where it's supposed to be, it's hard to tap in. 
So you would hide because, mind you, they were in open relationship with God. God always walked around in the garden. That's what he did. He always had communion with them. He always talked with them. Now, all of a sudden, when they weren't where they were supposed to be, now they hide. God walks through the garden. He's like, wait a minute. I'm used to seeing you. I'm used to what? And they start to hide. Keep going. Keep moving. Keep going. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Why did he say, where are you? He said, I'm not used to you hiding. Why are you hiding from me? I don't know who this is for right now. You are in this building right now, but you're hiding. For what? There is no sin. There is no problem that God doesn't already know you're in. There is nothing that you have done. There is nothing that you have ever participated in that would ever, Scripture says, that would ever separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you have ever done. There's nothing that you're thinking that God would ever say, I don't want to be involved with you. I don't want to have communion with you. I don't want to have fellowship with you. I don't want to talk with you. And I know it's hard for you all to even clap your hands and praise God on that because people do that to you. When they find out about you, they distance themselves from you. But that's not what God does. The Bible says, by loving kindness, he drew me even when I was messed up, even when I am messed up, even when I'm thinking wrong. He still pursues me. He does not play hide and go seek with me. He does not do that. God loves me even when I'm still wrong. He has never abandoned me. He has never forsaken me. Even when I forsook him, he has never forsaken me. He has never left me. And is there anybody in the room who can have the same testimony to say he was always there? So that's what happens. He comes in. He says, where are you? Why are you hiding? Why did you think I didn't want to be involved with you anymore? I made you. I know what you're capable of. I know what you can do. And I knew what you were going to do before you did it. And I had already made up my mind how I was going to respond to you. So now, where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you staying away from God's presence when it is his presence that drew you out in the first place? Why are you staying away from talking to God? Because he wants to hear from you. Someone say he wants to hear from me. I'm going to keep preaching this thing until every chain breaks off your mind. I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep hollering until you all shift out of this lethargic mindset to think that God doesn't want you. He wants you just like you are. He has not changed his mind about you. He has not. He loves you just like you are. So much so that he won't let you stay like you are. So he says, where are you? He keeps going on in verse 10 says. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Did you partake of something that I told you you weren't ready for? The very thing I told you, you could, meaning there's some knowledge that will wear you out if you know it too fast. My son, Miles, is going to turn 16 on April the 2nd. God bless Mary, Father, everybody. He's going to come, turn 16, at, at, at turn 16 on April the 2nd. But if I give him the keys to my car right now, too much access too soon will be a disaster. Just because you feel like you deserve it, just because you feel like you should have it, just because you feel like you know how to do it, just because you feel like you can do it better than somebody else, doesn't mean that you're ready for the keys. Because if I give you the keys, will you wind up ramming your future into it too soon? Will you wind up having a tragedy because you have too much power too soon? It is not that you won't have the keys, but you can't have the keys now. 
You've got to pass a few tests before I give you full access. And some of y'all are upset right now because God has you in testing season. It's not that he doesn't love you, but he wants to give you keys. But if you don't know what to do with the keys, you're going to wind up having a wreck. So he says, who told you you were naked? I made you. I knew you were naked. You couldn't handle your nakedness yet, so I didn't tell you. Nakedness is not just talking about you having no clothes on. It's talking about you don't even know that I'm the one who's been covering you the whole time. You think... You need clothes, so you go sew some fig leaves on you. I was always your clothing. I was always your shelter. I was always your shield. I was always your breastplate of righteousness. When did you start believing that you needed more than me? When did you start thinking that you needed to be clothed more than what I had already given you? Who told you that? Who told you that I wasn't enough? What have you been watching on YouTube that's got you messed up? What Hebrew Israelite are you so caught up with that you can't even find out if God is black or God is white? It don't matter what color he is. His blood is red. What have you read or watched? That's got you bewitched. What are you in right now that God is asking you, why did you think you needed sage when I am your smoke? What is it that you have betwixt and between in your relationship with me that you don't know whether it's God or you don't, you can't, you don't know what you don't. Who told you you were naked? So God said, so because y'all are off, because you went too far too soon, because you got too much before you needed it, I got to do something about it. Go to the next verse. Same chapter, verse 22. Do you have that? You don't have that? Refresh your screen. Refresh it and see it. I'll read it for you. Don't worry about Thank it. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Then the Lord God said, read, behold. Thank you, Donna. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat forever. What he meant was, now that he knows what he's not supposed to know, lest he live too long with that information, too much too soon, and having it too long will cause a greater wreck. He says, therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken, he drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed the cherubim and flaming swords that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. We had great relationship until they messed it up. So God drove them out of the garden. He said and he put two angels there so that they would never be able to go back. Why do we have to be reunited? Because the first thing is because we were separated by sin. Sin separated us. That's the first point. We were separated by sin. Someone say separated by sin. Too much too soon. Getting out of God's will. Separated by sin. So God said, let me make sure. I could make sure that they get out. I got to make sure that they get out of here. Because if I, if, if I leave in here too long, they're going to mess it up. If I leave them here too long, they're going to throw off my plan. So i got to kick them out. Separated. Now we're not in community anymore. Now we're not in connection anymore. So now from Adam to Cain and Abel uh, to Abraham to Noah 
to all of the other people that came after. They kept trying to do sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to get back in reunion with God. To get back in connection with God. And nothing worked. Someone say nothing worked. So now we are in the Israel. We are now in Egypt. All these years of separation from God, all these years, and now we are in Egypt. Now we are here, and when they get in the wilderness, God says, my people, for years, for all these decades, all these generations, God had no place to dwell among them. God has spoken through Abraham. God has spoken through Noah. God spoke to different people, but he had never been in a position to speak to everybody together. God said, I want to make, I want to get to a place where I can start to uh, communicate with them and be reunited with them. Because the second thing, not only were they separated by sin, but they are now separated by works. They're scattered by works, rather. Scattered by works, meaning uh, that they're trying to work their way back into relationship with me. They're trying to do all these different things, and they think if they do the right thing that they can get back with me. But that's not how this works. So I need you to erect a tabernacle so that they can start to have relationship and know how to access me again. Can you put my tabernacle up there on the screen, please, for those people who are first time they've seen it before? Put the tabernacle if you have that. That tabernacle, that's the first thing that they erected. And all of that is, it is a place uh, that God started to meet with them in. And we know about the, the uh, outer courts, and we know that, that that's where we were in for a few weeks. And they come into that particular gate, and that first uh, instrument that you see is the brazen altar. And that brazen altar was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of death. Uh, Y'all know that. And then we go to the laver, and that was a place of cleansing, a ceremonial cleansing. And that was a place that God was basically saying, as you come to me, uh, you're bringing your sins before me. But, but, but when you bring your sins before me, also you have to ceremonially wash them away because I wash things away. So he says, wash it away. And then we go further and we go into the tabernacle. And that's what we started to talk about a few weeks ago. We talked about the table of showbread, which was a place of feeding that God shows us that I will feed you. I will take care of you. I am your daily bread. Then we went to a place where we were talking about the candlestick, where Jesus was the light of the world. These are all, as I told you, for those of you who are first time hearing this and those of you who have been hearing it for a while know now is a foreshadowing of a relationship with Jesus that he says just as you need light I will be your light Jesus is the light of the world and then last week we were talking about the altar of incense the altar of incense was a place of prayer it was a place that God we learned that God responds to smoke and God gets in the smoke your prayers are smoke it is an offering before God anybody see any smoke this week anybody offered up any smoke this week is there anybody who tried to say hey what I need to offer up some smoke in my house I'm going to offer up some smoke in my life. That was God got into that this week, and God is going to get into your situation. Now we get to that place where uh, over in, uh, let's go uh, Exodus, the 25th chapter, and verse 8 through 9. I've read this before, but I want to read it again. And let them make me a sanctuary yes. that I may dwell in their midst. Yes. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle yes. and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. So he says... I used to walk in the garden, but I can't do that anymore because obviously you show me you can't handle too much of my presence. I used to walk freely among you. Sometimes people who walk among you who are great, sometimes you don't appreciate them until they're gone. So God said, you didn't appreciate who I was and what I was in your life, so I had to remove that access because maybe too much of my glory too soon would mess you up. So I removed myself so we don't have that communion anymore. Now I just speak through certain people. Um, so now God says, develop this tabernacle so I can start to sit among and dwell among my people again. So over in Exodus, the 26, so uh, put my, um, so I thought, uh, Corel, I don't know if it was Corel, maybe it was Uriah, I think it was Uriah, that said to me last week, she said, some of y'all have said this, first of all, I'm so grateful that you've been enjoying this series, that's the first thing, uh, but I think it was Uriah, somebody said to me, they said, surely um, this series can't end yet, there's got to be some other furniture in the tabernacle, you got something else you can't find to talk about? I said, no, I think I'm done, I don't think there's anything else to talk about, So I was reading this week, and I said, I'm going to finish the series this Sunday, and then all of a sudden, the Lord said, oh no 
There's one more thing before you get to the last piece of furniture. And I said, what is that? Can you put that up on the screen for me, uh, Ari? That next thing, that one more thing? Yes. No, not that. Not yet. We're not there yet. No, no. That right there. He says, before you go any further, there's a veil. There's a curtain that you don't get to go through if I don't let you come through. You see that there over here on the right-hand corner, for those of you on the screen, on the camera, I try to remember y'all, sorry. We don't have a professional camera crew just yet that can follow me everywhere I go, so I'm trying to remember that. But over here on my right-hand side, you see this table of showbread. That was there, the table there. And over here on the left-hand side, you see that was the, the candlestick. And in the middle, that is the altar of incense, meaning as you started to come towards God, he could smell you before you got there. He could start preparing his heart to receive you. My children are coming. I want you to look at somebody and say, I'm coming back to God. I'm going back to God. He says, I'm coming and I can smell them coming towards me. But in this particular thing, he says, but this, this, this tavern, this, this particular curtain, Exodus 26 chapter, verse 1 through 2. I'm almost finished, y'all. Uh, Exodus 26, 1 through 2. Go there. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen yes. and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And you shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. Yes. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Thank you. Go back to the, uh, that, that, put that back up there, that, that curtain again one more time. Look at that. If you look at that particular curtain, Dr. Brandon Colbert, you look at that, you will see that it has cherubims on there. There are angels on there. He says, I want every time they look at that curtain to represent my holiness. I want to live to look. I want them to rep let me tell you all something. I just want to say this. There are a lot of us who have stopped respecting God. I'm not trying to age myself, but since I am 43, I am aging, so I might as well be. I remember a time, Ron, when people who weren't in church, when they would play Tupac or whatever they were playing in their car, but when they started to approach the building of a church, they would say, turn that down. Turn that down. Respect this house. Now people do whatever they want to do, and, and a lot of that has to do with us, the pastors who messed it up. I, I take blame for all of that. A lot of it has to do with us because we didn't respect it. We preached it but didn't respect the God that we were preaching about. So if we didn't respect it, so how can we teach y'all to respect it? So that's what happened. But there used to be a time that even when people came in church, they would take off their hat. It had nothing to do with just society. It was, I just want to tip my hat to God. Like, I just respond to him. But now we have become so casual. And there's nothing wrong. I'm not talking about dress. I'm not talking about attire. Y'all say I got on a hoodie. I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about our hearts. I'm talking about my heart. What I mean is I can shout in church and cuss you out and not like you. What I mean is I can come in church and do all types of stuff and have bitterness in my heart and think that God's still going to receive me. It don't work like that. Casual. Like we just, we have a lot of casualties around us and we think that God is going to receive us and that's not working like that. My grandmama used to get her from the church and she would say, if I've done anything wrong to offend anybody, I don't want to just apologize to God. I want to apologize to anybody in this room because if I've offended you, I've offended God. When is the last time you grabbed a sister, not text about a sister, not screenshot about a sister, not inboxed about a sister. When is the last time you went to a sister and said, I don't know what's going on between us. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's about. I don't even remember it. But what I am saying is, if I've done anything to offend you, I want to be pleasing and acceptable to God. And I want to make sure that I treat my sister right. So I apologize for anything that I might have done on behalf of myself. What do we do, Hosanna? They ain't said nothing to me. I ain't saying nothing to them. They ain't said they sorry. I ain't saying they sorry. The Bible says if you have aught with someone, lay your gift 
on the altar go reconcile with your brother and then come back and get on the worship team and sing because until then you are a clanging clashing symbol I might not know what your unforgiving is but God sees your heart so when you see this curtain he says don't come here any type of way If you got to out with your leadership, tell them. We have such issues now. You didn't do what I want you to do. You didn't call me when I was sick. You didn't do it. It's only one person. We can't do everything. There is only one God and the pastor ain't it. If we would start saying people are just human and we mess up. And we try to do the best we can. But even when we don't do well, can you pray for a brother? Can you pray for a sister? That's what we used to do in prayer. We used to come up before prayer and we say, I'm praying for somebody who's not even here. I'm praying for my sister. I'm praying for my daughter. I'm praying for my uncle. I'm praying for people who ain't even thinking about God right now. But I'm standing in, I'm standing in proxy for them. I'm interceding for them. When is the last time we interceded for anybody other than ourselves? So when they got to this curtain, he says, flesh can't go back here. Whatever you need to kill before you get to me, kill it. Whatever you need to destroy, destroy it. Whatever you need to let go of, let go of it. Because when you get back here, no flesh lives. When you get back here, when you get back to my presence, you can't be in my presence and stay trifling like that. Which begs me to question, for a lot of us who confess you saved, I'm really asking, where? Because you can't be that saved and that nasty. There is no possible way that you serve the same God I serve. Look at somebody say, no way. And you can't blame everything on your genetics. My mama was like that, but you don't have to be. You know, all of us are like this. All of us are the mirage. But why? I don't know. We just always done it. Check it. When's the last time I came to God and got on my knees and said, check it. That is the prayer. Check it. You want word for it? I'll give you word. Psalms 139 says, Lord, search me. And if you find anything that shouldn't be, check it. Somebody holler right now. Say, check it. I mean, check every jot, every tittle. I mean, check every inbox. I mean, check every screenshot. I mean, check every thought. I mean, check every desire. I mean, check every word. I mean, check everything until I'm pleasing in your sight. Kill it before it kills me. Destroy it. I feel deliverance in this room. Destroy it before it destroys me. Break it off of me before it breaks me. Remove it until it before it removes me from you. I don't want anything that takes me from you. Check it. Do whatever you got to do because I want to be pleasing in your sight. Here, go there. So what happens is they may sacrifice. Y'all know they may sacrifice. Brazen altar, sacrifice. Brazen altar, brazen, brazen labor. Uh, the altar incense, the, the showbread, and all that type of stuff. But when they got to that curtain, put that curtain back up there one more time. When they got to that curtain, only the priest could go back there one time of year to give an offering of atonement. The word atonement means at one meant at one meant making me one again with God on behalf of the people they would bring an offering to say God can you imagine how much blood it took to give an offering that was worth a year's sin <laughs> I'm trying to teach the best I can one time a year you go before God 
to repent for what we've done for the last 365 days in the year. Can you imagine how much guilt to be able to say, I'm going, it's my, it's my time of year to go before God. Here, go, Exodus the 30th chapter and verse 10. Can I go a little bit further, y'all? Exodus 30 verse 10, go there. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. With the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Now listen to this. Deacon Sterling, Aaron was a priest. Aaron was a priest. Now y'all know I started with that scripture about we have a high priest who has been acquainted with all our sins, uh, but yet without sin. Aaron went on behalf of the people, but this is the part. Dr. Stephanie, this is the part. They were a part. I mean, Aaron was a priest, but Aaron was not sinless. So Aaron's not just coming before God on behalf of the people's sins. He's coming to God on behalf of his own stuff. Stop thinking that the pastor is perfect. A priest dressed in flesh. I don't just go to God for y'all. I got to go to God for myself too. I say, Lord, have your way in Mama Carol. Have your way in Portia. Have your way in Mel. Have your way in Ma. But Lord, most of all, have your way in me. Do something in me. Lord, I want you to bless Kiana. I want you to bless Sterling. I want you to bless all these people. College students, everybody. But Lord, while you passing out blessings, don't you dare forget about me. Don't you let me preach in front of the people and I haven't repented before you. Aaron went in front and he went, he went on behalf of the people, but he was sinful. But I opened up what the scripture says, but we have a high priest who went before God. He was acquainted, but didn't do it. He knew sin, could sympathize with your sin, but didn't participate in it. Because God says, I'll respond to a spotless lamb without sin or without blemish. He says, so if you're going to come before me, you've got to be without blemish. So Aaron couldn't go, he, meaning it only, it, 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 he did this one time a year. But it only, uh, Bishop Drake uses this word, he only, it only appeased God, but it didn't please God. What it means is, it held God off for another year. It only held God off for a time. But then he said, but if you don't bring another offering, I'm killing you. Aren't you grateful that we don't have to wait for a whole year just to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm repent. God, can, can we give God praise that we don't have to wait? Not only wait, but you don't have to depend on one person to pray for you. I don't have to depend on nobody else. I can go to God myself. One time a year. I got to get out of here. Because what happened, but you said, give me, oh, Mario, get out of this message. Ooh, I just feel like running around New Circle Road. Put that, cur put that curtain back up there real quick. Mike Adams, I don't act like this every Sunday. I promise you I don't. Look at this curtain. There are angels, seraphims on here. Whew, Jesus, help me, Lord. On this curtain. Angels, seraphims on this curtain. Do y'all see them? Come on, go, go to the word. Donna, say read. Isaiah, read it. In the year that King Uzziah died, yes. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Yes. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Stop it right there. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. What needs to die for you to see God again? He said it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Some of you are standing at the casket too long. Some of you are staying at something that was dead too long. It had to die for you to see God again. I'll never let anything stand in the place of me. Now, mind you, King Uzziah was a good king, but he wasn't a perfect king. 
He was a good king, meaning that he caused Judah to get back in a relationship with God again. He was good. It was a good king that caused them to be able to get back in a relationship with God and start to, to, to tear down the idol worship and all that type of stuff and get them back in position to God. But Isaiah said, but it was in the year that my king died that I saw the king. Only three of y'all got it. It was in the year that my king died that I saw the king because I had put that king above the king. So because I had exalted that king, I forgot about the king. Who have you exalted that you have forgotten about the king, the real king? Because he said it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord again. I saw him when King Uzziah died. I experienced natural death, but I saw something eternal. <laughs> I want somebody to say, I'm getting ready to see something. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Above him stood the seraphim. What? Each had six wings. What? With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. Stop right there. Put my curtain back up there. Where y'all at? Put my curtain back up there. Put it up. Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? Put it. What do you see? The wings. You see the angel. Go back to that verse one more time. Read it again. Above him stood the seraphim. Yes. Each had six wings. Yes. With two he covered his face. Yes. And with two he covered his feet. And what did they say? And with two he flew. Yeah, what happened? And one called to another and said. What did they say? Holy, holy, yes. holy what? is the Lord of hosts. Look, they're facing each other. And if they had words on their screen, the only conversation they had was holy. Everything they said to each other was holy. Everything they said to each other was not messy. It was not gossip. It was not about what somebody did. It was not about what they saw. Everything they said was holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. Can we practice it for a few moments? Look at three people and just say holy, 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 holy. All day long they said holy, 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 holy. I know I got bills but holy I know I got strange things going on in my life but holy I know my mind's messed up but holy I know things are not working out the way I wanted to but holy 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 my children are going through stuff but holy 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 what it means is as you keep lifting up Jesus he lifts you up holy 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 somebody in the room say holy 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. It's the Lord God Almighty. Not me, but it's the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy. When is the last time we had a worship service where you can say nothing but holy are you, Lord? Holy are you, Jesus. Holy is your name. Righteous is your name. Great and marvelous is your name. I mean, when is the last time you open your mouth and say, he's holy. He's holy. He's holy. Oh, you're holy. Oh, you're holy. Oh, you're righteous. Oh, you're magnificent. What we do is, Lord, fix it. Lord, fix them. Lord, fix that thing. God said, if you would start saying holy again, and you would start facing your situation, I mean, go home, put every bill on the table, and say, holy. Holy, 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 holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. I'm saying tonight before you go to sleep, walk down your aisle and say, holy, 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 holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. When you go to UK, when you go to Kentucky State, when you go to your job, when you go to your bank, when you go, go through your bank, go through your job, go through that meeting saying, holy, 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 holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. And see what God does does you start worshiping him let me tell y'all something I've been preaching so hard the musicians could have been here 15 minutes ago because I've been preaching I've been preaching about the holiness of do not come now I will make my own gravy I want y'all right now to open up your mouth and say holy it's the Lord God Almighty somebody hollering again say holy Say it again. Say holy. I mean, say holy until chains shake off of you. Say holy until things come off your mind. Say holy until your family changes. Somebody lift your hands and say holy. holy. Keep going. 
Keep the going. Whole, Verse 3. The whole earth is yes. full of his glory. Yes. And the foundations of yes. the threshold shook at the voice of him. Hold on. Say that one more time. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him. Say it one called. more time. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the and voice keep going. of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. It was filled with what? Smoke. What? Smoke. What? Smoke. It was filled with smoke because God responds to smoke. Anybody responds? Remember last week as you opened your mouth and prayed, the smoke filled the room. It's in the word. They responded to his voice. Oh, glory. Woo, Jesus responded to his voice. And as they responded to his voice, the room shook because he spoke. What does that mean? Thank you for asking me. Those of you who think praise is silent, Bible says otherwise. It says the whole earth shook at the sound of his voice. What would shake if you would open up your mouth? What would shake if you would do me a favor and just start to open up your mouth and do something that you've never done before? Could it be that you might see something that you've never seen before because you did something that you never did before? Because when he opened up his mouth, the whole threshold shook. It is not enough for you to clap your hands. It's not enough for you to do a dance. Horses do a dance. Horses trot, but the redeemed say so. The redeemed open up their mouth. And I'm trying to figure out why in God's world are we still not opening up our mouth? Because when you open up your mouth, everything shakes. Everything. Tell somebody something's getting ready to shake. Oh, you told the wrong person. That person believes in ordinary stuff. Tell somebody something's scared to shake. Something's scared to shake. I'm getting to open up my mouth. I'm getting ready to say something. And when I say something, and when I open up my mouth, and when I declare his holiness, when I declare his glory, when I declare his majesty, when I declare his healing, I'm getting ready to see something shake. Somebody say it's getting ready to shake. Glory, glory, glory. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. As I saw the Lord, and when I saw him, I saw him high, and he was lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I want somebody in this room that say, God's getting ready to fill my house again. I want somebody to open your mouth and say, God's getting ready to fill my life again. God, God's getting ready to fill my anxiety. God's getting ready to fill my depression. Everything that's standing in between me and God, God's getting ready to fill my house with smoke. And anybody who believes it right now, open your mouth and say, God, do it. I feel something shifting in this room. I feel something shaking in this room. I, I feel something shaking in your life. I, I feel something shaking on the east side. I, I feel something shaking on the west side. Somebody say it's getting ready to happen. Yes. 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 Excuse me, but I feel something shaking in my own life. Is there anybody in this room who's tired of things staying the way they are? Tired of things being like this? Tired of waking up like this? Tired of going to bed tired and waking up tired? Is there anybody who's tired of your family like this? Is there anybody tired of your mind like this? And you need something to shake. Somebody open your mouth and say, shake it down, God. Oh, shake it down. Shake it down. I mean, high five about three people and tell them there's getting ready to be a shakedown. 
Y'all didn't. I'm sorry, Don. I'm sorry, Mel. Me and Mel came up in a church that when the word went forth, people would start shouting, not because of a song, but because of a shakedown. And I want somebody who believes that God's getting ready to give you the greatest shakedown you have ever seen to give God 30 seconds of the best phrase you can give up. 20 seconds, 15 seconds, 7 seconds, 3, 2, 1. He's getting ready to shake down some stuff. I'm getting ready to see a shakedown. Well, I got to get out of here because I'm overtime. But since I'm here, we've been we've been separated by our sin. That's what the word says. We've been separated or scattered because of our works. But I've got one more point for you. And God couldn't leave it like that. God couldn't let it stay like this. He said, I've got to settle the matter. Someone say, settle it, God. Someone say, settle it, God. So he had to settle it through his son put Matthew 27 verse 45 up I'm going to preach this thing Pastor Sisha if you don't mind Matthew 27 verse 45 and it reads like thank you for your prayers and generous support that grant us the opportunity to do ministry now this connection doesn't have to end here visit our website engage with our social platforms comment review screenshot and share your growth with others And until next time, keep growing.